Good morning. Good morning. There's something that we share as human beings. We all carry within our hearts, within our minds, a deep longing, a sacred hunger, if you will, to know why we're here. How did we get here? What is our origin as the human race? We have a sacred hunger to know why we're here. What's the purpose of my life? I wake up every morning and, and not as fast as it used to, but my body still responds and, and it's, you know, it's functioning and I'm breathing and I'm, I'm eating and I'm living and I'm interacting with people. But you know, there's gonna be coming a day not too long for some of us, myself included, that we're no longer here on this earth. Why am I here? Now we, 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 we cover this longing with busyness or activity or pursuits. But when we're quiet in our thoughts with God, we have this longing to know, why am I here? How did I get here? What is the meaning, the purpose of my life? There's a hunger in me, there's a sacred hunger to know what is after this life. Is there more to life than this? This physical experience that we have? Is there more to our existence? Is there something after we leave this earth? When this body no longer functions, what's next? And we, we, we ask it in different ways, these questions, and we respond to them differently, and we pursue them differently, but I'm convinced that as human beings, we all share this sacred hunger, and I call it sacred because the Word of God tells us that God puts, it, puts that in us. There's a fourth big question that we have a longing to know, and it's, why is there so much trouble in this world? Why is there so much evil and suffering? I remember when, that sounds like an old man's statement, but I'll, I'll, I'll wear that. I remember when, the news cycle was much longer. And you know what I mean by the news cycle? You know, you'd have, this is happening here, and then, oh, Mrs. So-and-so's cat got out, you know, and, and somebody ran the stop sign, you know, and then there would be all this other news. And every, I don't know, so often there would be this, this stop-you-in-your-tracks moment that what's happening in our world. And I don't know about you, but my experience is that's happening every day. Every night or every morning or you pick up the, do they still have newspapers? Okay, that's that paper, paper stuff that they print on, yeah. However you get your information or your news on your phone, it's a non-ending running commentary on the pain and the suffering and the evil that's in this world. Why is there evil and suffering in this world? Now if I take a look at these questions, where did we come from? How did we get here? Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? What comes after this life? And why is there pain and suffering, evil and suffering in this world? The first three, personally, I can answer very easy, very simply, very clearly with confidence. I can answer the first three with God. I can look to that first question and say, God created me. And Psalm 139, in, in, his, in my mother's womb, <laughs> he knew me. 
I can answer the second question with God. Who gives me life and what is the, why am I here? Do I have meaning and significance? And God says, yes, you do. And he says that to each and every one of us. We may or may not be listening, but he is saying the same thing to every human being. I created you. I love you. You are unique and there is a purpose. There is significance. There is meaning to life. And I can answer the third one with God too. That cross, that empty cross and the empty tomb. I know where I will be for all eternity. Not because I deserve to be there or I somehow have earned it, but because God has given me the gift of life by his grace. And responding to that offer in faith and saying, God, I don't understand it. I know I don't deserve this. I know I can't get, the, I can't get good with you. I can't fix what's broken between us. My sin is ever with me. I need you. We just sang it. Lord, I need you. My one defense, the righteousness that I have to bring before the Father is the righteousness that Jesus gave me when he created through his spirit the new creation in me. So I can answer that question. Is there life after death? Yes. And is it good? Yes. And do I know, I don't fully understand it. It's gonna be amazing surprises, but I'm confident of what happens after I stop breathing. But then I come to the fourth one, and I have a little trouble. This is where I stumble. I can ask the first three questions, and I'm still you know, trying to figure out totally, but I, I can tell you absolutely confidently, God, God, God. And then I ask, why is there so much evil and suffering in this world? And when I put God behind it, you with me? I struggle. Just to be full, full honesty. I, the first three Man, there's such a fit. If we answer the first three with God, the last one can be challenging. I'm going to ask it a little bit differently because our theme for 2022 is hope lives here. Hope lives here. Does hope live here? Does hope live here? How we answer that fourth question is very revealing, isn't it? Why is there so much evil, pain, and suffering in this world? This is a stumbling block, and not just for believers, but people throughout history. And, and now, in 2022, it's a conversation that I find myself having with people much more frequently. You say God is good. You say that he has provided a way for us to be with him. He's answered these questions. We know how we got here. We know why we're here, and we know where we're going. So tell me, if God has done those things and he's so good and he's so faithful, tell me why there's so much pain and suffering in our world. Distant and up close. Our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, the people of Ukraine. John, you here? Thought I saw you. Thank you, John. John prompted me this, this week. He sent me an email and said, hey, do we know our brothers and sisters in the building over here, Building C, do they have family, do they have friends? And we reached out and they do. And so as brothers and sisters, we prayed this morning and we need to be praying, but we also need to reach out as a church and say, how do we come alongside of you as brothers and sisters? That event seems far away, but it's actually very close and very personal. The book of Habakkuk. How many read the book of Habakkuk this week? Don't want, Oliver, did you? Okay, good. He, he was ready to answer. Don't. Confess that sin that you lied before you. 
How many read it this month? My mom and dad? Wow, I'm impressed. Wow. Anybody else? Okay. Come on up. We have a prize for you. That's... (laughs) The book of Habakkuk opens with the prophet asking this question. He's asking this fourth question. Listen to his words in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 2. He says, how long? How long, Lord, must I call for help and you don't listen? Were were the people that he loved and served, were they suffering? Yes, they were. They were suffering because of their own sin, but they were also suffering at the hands of other people, evil people. And he says, God, how long? I know you to be good and faithful. How long do I have to keep calling on you for help? And how long will you not listen? How long will you not cry out? Or how long will I have to keep crying out to you about violence and you don't save? You don't respond to my prayers. My question, God, this evil, this suffering that's happening in my world, when are you going to do something about it? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Oh, does anybody connect with that? How long do I have to watch the evil get away with what they're doing and the innocent suffer? How long do I have to to live with injustice to others and injustice in my own life? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Are these good questions? They are, and we've asked them, haven't we? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. Everybody's fighting with each other. I didn't know they had Facebook in Habakkuk's time. Apparently they did. They had social media. Everybody's mad. Everybody's fighting with everybody. And, and problems and conflicts are just growing and growing. And God, by the way, let me just tell you something that you probably don't know. This is why the law is ineffective. Your, your law, your truth is ineffective. And why justice never emerges. Because God, you're not doing anything. How long will this evil and this injustice, this suffering continue For the wicked restrict the righteous. The wicked are winning, the righteous are losing. And therefore justice comes out twisted or perverted. You feel him at all? Why is there so much pain and suffering? Where is God in all the pain and suffering that we see up close and at a distance? And when will God do something? Hear me. When will God do something about my suffering? When will God intervene? Now, we're going to unfold this, unpack this a little bit this morning, and you can join me in 1 Peter chapter 4, and it'll be behind me, but if you have your Bible or your phone, join, get, get there, and be thankful that I didn't ask you to find Habakkuk. Just go to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to unpack this a little bit, but let me, let me just give this, this, and I'll use a borrowed word from my friend Don, let me give you a caveat. We're not suffering physically in this moment in our country like we've kind of talked about over the last couple of years. We, we've, we've had troubles. We've had challenges. But we're not suffering like what's happening in Ukraine. We're not suffering like what's happening in parts of Africa and China and other places in the Middle East where you're physically, your life is in jeopardy because of your faith in Christ. Let me, let me add this caveat, this layer to our understanding this morning. And it, it, it struck me in a, in a new way this week. One of the ways that we're suffering as followers of Jesus, is what Habakkuk is describing. Some of you, your hearts are broken over how people are treated and what's happening in our world. And it may be at a distance, it may be groups of people in our our world, and it may be in your own family. 
You see, if you have a heart like God's, it suffers when you see people make choices that is outside of his will and it brings consequences into their life and into your life and into our society's family, the church, our community. You with me? You remember Jesus coming to Jerusalem and he cried out, he said, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I just wanted to gather you like a chicken mom wants to go. Come on, there's danger, come on, get under my, you ever seen that, how the chicken does that? And that, that mom chicken will actually give her life if a coyote or fox or a raccoon or whatever, she will protect the chickens under her, under her body as she's being attacked. And Jesus, in, in a moment of revealing his heart, how often I wanted just to pull you to me and put you under my wing, Psalm 91, and protect you. Oh, Jerusalem. And then he goes into the city and they celebrate him and they throw the palm branches on the, on the ground. Woohoo! And a week later, he's hanging on a cross. And he's being executed. Are you, are you tracking with me? Do you understand this layer of suffering that I'm talking about? this weight that you carry, if you know God's love, if you know his righteousness, if you know the answer to the first three, we are, we are carrying this weight of suffering. Oh God, when are you going to move? When are you going to intervene? When are you gonna bring people back? When are you gonna open up the eyes of people's hearts to see your love for them? And that they would choose you and love you and serve you so that they can experience your love and grace closer those people are to you, the harder, the more heavy that suffering is. Are you with me? So why is there so much pain and suffering? Where is God in all this pain and suffering? And when will God do something about my suffering? First Peter chapter four, verse 12. Beloved, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual was happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy, I mean, just simply much more joy, at the revelation of his glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. He sticks to you, literally. He remains with you. None of you, however, listen up, none of us, however, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. Man, every time I read it, it just stops me. Murder, theft, evildoer means criminal. You just break rules. You don't care. And somebody who sticks their nose in other people's business. I don't want to look at anybody when I say that. <laughs> You shouldn't suffer because of your, your disobedience to God. None of you, whoever, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. These are all things that are addressed in the law, the Ten Commandments, or a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, the only other place this word is used except in Acts, and in Acts it's used, it's always used by non-Christians towards Christians. It isn't a name that we took on ourselves 2,000 years ago. If anyone, and here Peter uses it, if anyone suffers as a Christian, keep in mind Peter was one of those people that was called Christian. I wish I could ask, maybe I'll ask him one day if, we, if it matters. What was that like the first time you heard that? You know, you're a fisherman, you're a follower of the way, you're a disciple of Jesus. What was it like the first time and said, that guy, he's a Christian. What was that like? 
Peter wore that. He experienced it. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he or she should not be ashamed, but should give glory to God in having that name, being associated with Christ. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? What's it like to stand under the judgment of God as one who is forgiven? Does God still judge us as forgiven? He does. He says, stop, knock it off, wrong. That the Holy Spirit is living in me. Every day he's telling me that. Would you agree? Would you agree I need to listen more? Okay, just gave, I gave you a chance. He's there and, he, and he's, he's saying, hey, no, hey, that's not holy, that's holy, that's loving, that's not loving. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what I want to produce. Get rid of that. Stop doing that. Start doing this. Does God do that? Is he judging us in doing that? Yes, he is. He's judging our heart. What's it like, Peter says, on one hand to be judged as someone who is loved by God and forgiven and in his household, in his family, a part of his dwelling place, versus someone who has not received the gospel, who has not been forgiven, does not understand grace and mercy, and is still trying to figure out if there is a God, and if there is, does he lo- what do I do to get on his good side? To be right with him. He quotes from Proverbs chapter 11, if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So, and here's Peter's mantra. Here's his declaration. If he, had, if he had a banner or if he had words up in front of his church where he served, this, I'm convinced this is what it would say. Those who suffer according to God's will. How many like that statement so far? Oliver, you sure you want to raise your hand this time? Okay, good. Suffer and God's will in the same sentence? We're back to that fourth question, aren't we? If you suffer according to God's will, not for your sin, but you suffer because you're a Christian, you're connected to Christ, while you're doing what is good, you're living out your faith, then you should entrust yourself, commit yourself to a faithful creator. I love that, that Peter specifically zooms in on these two things. God is faithful, and he made you. He knows everything about you. Commit yourself to him. All right, can I have another 45 minutes? There's a caveat for you. I do have some thoughts, and I want to unpack this some more. It's an amazing section of, of Peter's letter. So let me give you some thoughts. And here's the question. Where is God, or what is God doing in the suffering? That fourth question. Where is God in the midst of this? What's his heart towards it? What's his engagement, his involvement? When, that's the big question. Come on, when. We always wanna know when. And then it come, becomes personal when I said, God, when are you? I'm, I'm Habakkuk. When are you gonna do something for my pain and suffering? When are you gonna intervene in my situation? I wanna ask this question. I wanna give you three, three answers that I see in this text. The first one is this. In the suffering, in the midst of suffering, God is working. And if that's all you hear this morning, I'm gonna say that phrase three times and then have something after it. But if that's all you hear, would you please grab onto that? In the suffering, God is working. 
I see that in, in, in Peter's words in his heart as the Holy Spirit led him to write these words. In the suffering, God is working, and here's what he's doing. He's working to replace confusion and uncertainty with joy. See, the first thing that happens to my thoughts when I face suffering is confusion. Because God's good, and I'm convinced he loves me. And my life verse has been since the 80s, the 1900s, almost the mid-1900s, third quarter of the 1900s, has been Jeremiah 29, 11, where God speaks to Israel. And they're in a mess. They're sla- they've, they've been enslaved. They've been torn away from their, their homes. And he says, you know, my plans for you are good. I have a future for you. I have hope for you. And if you come to me and call on me, I will listen. You've been in rebellion for 300 years. But if you come to me and call on me, you'll find me, and you'll find that I listen to you. Is that God's heart? It is. And so when suffering happens, like the people of that day, there's confusion, there's uncertainty. What does this mean? How do I reconcile a good God, a loving God, with pain and suffering? I don't know. What does God do in the suffering? You know what I personally have found him to do? And what Peter is saying he does is he's working to replace that confusion and certainty and put a layer of joy over the top of it. Does that make any sense? Don't say yes. <laughs> because it doesn't, does it? Oliver, put your hand down. But smile. Does it make, se- does it make sense that God would bring joy into our life through suffering? No, but it's what he does. Jesus was facing the cross, and for the joy that sat before him, he endured the cross. Do you believe Jesus had joy on the cross? I do. I can't explain it in the midst of his pain and his suffering and all that he, I can't even comprehend what he was experiencing. And yet, we know that he had joy in what God was doing in the suffering. In the suffering, God is working to replace confusion and certainty with joy. Peter says suffering is something that we should expect and even embrace as followers of Jesus. Suffering becomes significant as we realize what God is doing in the suffering. Would you just, in your heart, raise the hand of your heart if you're with me? The last thing I'm looking for to happen in suffering is joy. And, 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 and I struggle to see the significance of the suffering because all I feel is the pain. All I can see is the loss and the hurt. Peter says what God is doing and how he's working in our pain and suffering is he wants to replace the confusion and uncertainty. And by the way, God doesn't judge us for this, the, the confusion and uncertainty. He gets it. But the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through these verses and he's saying, I want to bring joy into your life. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. And this word test is the word they use to describe the, the, the process, the machine, the technology that used heat to purify metal so that all the stuff that didn't belong in the silver or the gold, whatever, the, the brass would be removed and all that was left was that pure metal. It's used to test the nature of something. It's used to test, suffering is used by God to test the nature, the authenticity, the purity of our faith. And our joy. Can you be happy when life is good? Ah, ah, oh, come on, guys. Right? 
people, sorry, ladies, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. What about when life is hard? What about when nothing makes sense? What about when all you can see is the pain and the suffering? What is the outcome gonna be in Eastern Europe? What's, gonna, what's it gonna mean for people? Can you have joy then? That's what Peter is challenging us with, that in the midst of suffering, God is working to replace our confusion and our uncertainty with joy. He says, you know, when this happens to you, rejoice. Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy when Jesus is revealed and we're with him. To be able to look back when you see him face to face and say, I am so thankful that I leaned on you, I depended on you, I leaned in close to you, and I trusted in you, and you gave me joy in the midst of, of, of horrible circumstances. I'm so thankful now that, I, that with you I experienced that. Now we get to spend eternity together, rejoicing with even more joy of how you were present in my life and how I acknowledged your presence and your working. Uh, suffering reveals God's closeness and love. If you're in the midst of suffering and you're struggling, but you're, you're leaning into God, you know that to be true. Boy, we get so distant from God when everything's going our way or when we've got control of, we think we have control of things. You with me? But when you're going through suffering, you're waking up every morning and you're going to bed every night saying, God, 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 when, how, why, God, help me. Suffering reveals his closeness and love. And it provides clarity on our intimate connection with him. What else is God doing in the suffering according to Peter in this text? Number two, in the suffering, God is working to replace shame with identity. He's working to replace shame with identity. If you're ridiculed, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. He's present, he's connected, he remains. None of you, however, and can I, can I add something there? All of you, however, all of us, me, there we go, I'll just put me in there. Kurt, you shouldn't suffer as a result of your sinful choices, your selfish choices, murder, theft, criminal activity, or sticking your nose in somebody's business. In other words, he says you shouldn't, don't, don't go, oh God, I'm suffering. Well, yeah, but you, you, threw, you threw that dog poop back over the fence in your neighbor's yard. True story. <laughs> You're all assuming it was me. Maybe it was the other way. Maybe it was both ways. <laughs> oh, I'm suffering. You know, I, I, I come late to work and I take two-hour lunches and, oh, my boss is just giving me a hard time. Yes, I took that stuff from work, but nobody's going to miss it. Come on, I got a million other whatever. You, you, you with me? Fill in the blank. God says, stop. As my children, as, as my household, as my family, stop doing sinful things and lamenting the, the suffering that comes. Instead, if you suffer as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you've been tagged, if you will, as a follower of Jesus, then don't be ashamed don't be ashamed, but glorify God that you have that name. Now, here's the, the shame can take different forms. Sometimes we're ashamed, we're ashamed, we're embarrassed, we're whatever word you want to put in there, because of our sin. Do you know how I know this to be true? Because in 
40 years, 39 years of being at this church and coming in however many Sundays that is, we, what has not changed? Things have changed for good, but there's, there's a few things that remain, and here's one of the threads that remains. How you doing? How you doing, Paul? Good, yeah. Good week? Yeah. Life's good? All right. Uh, uh, see, see how he's doing? Guys, we got it down. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. And we put on this, we put on, right? What would happen if so, in the greeting this morning and said, how you doing? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I, I, I robbed a bank. <laughs> I really needed the money. And, and my wife is really upset with me, and I know the cops are on to me and my kids. I, 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 I bought things for my kids, and now they're going to get in. And, no, I'm trying to be silly, but you, it would be not that silly, right? But what would happen if you started vomiting your sin? Oh, I just, that's... See, we're ashamed, aren't we, of our sin, of our failure, our weakness. Another element of this shame I think Peter's addressing, and this comes from him personally, is you are in suffering, you are facing difficulty, and you're not depending on God. You're struggling. And that's why we say, I'm good, I'm good. But inside you're like, I'm not good. The truth is, remember that song, the truth is, the truth be told, I'm not okay I'm not okay with what's happening in my life and my finances, my health, my family. I'm not okay with what's happening in this, what's happening in this world. And we're ashamed that we're, that we're Habakkuk and that we're, we're struggling and maybe we've even wandered from God. Maybe you stopped coming to church. You don't want to be around people that are going to ask you that question. Maybe you've stopped reading your Bible. Maybe you've stopped praying. Maybe you've stopped sharing your faith. Maybe you've stopped serving and giving. Those are all just expressions of what's going on in here, right? And there's shame. Did Peter understand this? Oh, go with me for a moment back. You remember, he says, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll go wherever you go, even if it means death. And Jesus says, Peter, the truth is, the truth be told. (laughs) How you doing, Peter? I'm good. No, you're not, because before the morning comes and that rooster crows three times, you're going to, crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny that you even know me. I would never, I find myself saying that. I would never deny Jesus. I can't imagine. And yet he did. And John 21 records that painful, grace-filled, painful moment where Jesus face-to-face with Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? (laughs) I love Luke. Luke record, the recording in Luke, what Luke records, is that when Jesus is being slapped and made fun of and, and falsely accused, and Peter denies him for the third time, their eyes meet. Jesus looks out and Peter turns, and their eyes meet, and the rooster crows. And Peter goes out and he weeps. He weeps. Do we need some help? On the Sea of Galilee, Jesus looks Peter in the face and he says, do you love me? What he doesn't say is, let's, let's, let's kind of reflect on that morning. And remember the morning when we eyes met and you denied me? Three? He doesn't say that, does he? He says, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, you know the moment. You think Peter understands this idea of shame? Does God love me when I fail and when I'm struggling in, in, in suffering and I don't respond the way I'm supposed to? Does God still love me? Is the spirit of glory still resting on me? And Peter says emphatically, yes, he does. He never leaves you or forsakes, forsakes you. 
He told me that everything, we were good, and he still wanted to use me. God works in the suffering, even in the failures of the suffering, to wash away shame and replace it with identity. Who you are to him, how he sees you. See, God's eyes are so filled with love and grace, and he's looking at you and me, and he sees us suffering, and he does hear the cry of our heart. Why and when and how long? And he says, you're mine. This, this phrase here talks about the, the household of God. The time is coming for judgment on the household of God. There's not agreement by scholars of how to in, interpret this, this Greek word that Peter uses. It can mean the, the family. So some see it as the, the church, the family of God. Judgment has to happen, and, and there's validity to that. Other scriptures back that up. But more often, this word is used when describing a dwelling place, a temple. Today, where's the temple of God? 7100 Ferrox Boulevard, Building A. Is this the temple? Where's the temple? Right here. Right here. What makes this the temple? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of glory, resting on me, living in me. And maybe Peter's intent there is, you know what, this is where God wants to work. He'll, he'll certainly work here collectively, but maybe this is where he's, he's really working. And in that suffering, and in our failure in the suffering, he wants to remove the shame, because shame doesn't come from God. Shame is man-made, Satan-made. And he wants to replace that shame that we have put on. My name tag here says shame. And he wants to take that name tag off, and he wants to put child of God, son of God, with me identity it's who we are what is he doing in the suffering he's working to replace shame with identity oh, I got so many thoughts let me let me wrap up this third let me give you the third what is God doing in the suffering in the suffering God is working Did you hear me say it again I've said it three times now Four or five times, let me say it a sixth time. In the suffering, God is working, and he's working to replace discouragement with commitment. Joy is a good answer. Look at, look at Peter's words again, the last part of our, of our text. The time has come for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us in here and in here, what will the outcome be for those who are outside of the gospel? They've not... They've not submitted to the gospel, the good news. They've disobeyed it. They've rejected Christ's offer. And then he quotes Proverbs 11. If a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly, those without respect and the sinner? So those who suffer according to God's will, you're suffering because of righteousness. You're suffering because of your faith. You're suffering because of your name being associated with Jesus. If that's your circumstances, this is what you do. You commit yourself to a faithful creator. I, I, I thought this through this week. It, it hit me. Every once in a while I have these, like somebody stepped in my office and slapped me. And that's what it felt like. The Holy Spirit's going, you know, slap. Hey, stop right here and hold on to this word for a minute. This idea of committing yourself to a faithful creator. See, what God wants to do in me in the suffering is he wants to strengthen my commitment to him. He wants to build my faith in him. 
He wants me to understand that there's nothing else that I can lean into or lean on in this moment but him. He's faithful, and he cre- he's my creator. He's been there before, before the beginning. I've been in his heart before this world's beginning, we're told. You, you with me? God knows you. He knows you really, really well. Not only does he know everything you're thinking and feeling, but he knows your quirkiness. He knows the chinks in your armor. He knows your personality. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what troubles your heart. Because he made you. And he can see what nobody else can see. Now that's scary up to that point. Come on, it is. Like, ah, you know. But Peter says he's faithful. He's faithful. Peter, what are you telling us? You can trust him. You can trust him. Child of God, you can trust him. Church, you can trust him. You can trust him. He's faithful. And what God is doing in the suffering is he's working to to replace the discouragement that you have. And I'll raise my hand. Over the last two years, I've found more days than not where I wake up discouraged and I go to bed discouraged. And he's been working in me, and I praise God that he will continue to replace that discouragement with commitment. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk through this knowing that you're with me, that you're faithful. Are you with me? Are we with him? Okay, then receive this next statement and and still like me afterwards. When we suffer according to God's will, we are right where we need to be. And I don't say that lightly because some of you are suffering in very dark, painful moments, seasons. They last a lot longer than a moment, don't they? God doesn't take it lightly I don't take it lightly. I hope we don't take it lightly in relating to each other. But the truth is, the foundation that we can stand on is if we are suffering according to God's will, we are right where we need to be. Because what I want him to do in me is the three words that I've shared this morning. I want joy, I want clear identity, and I want my commitment to grow. Can you say amen to that? And that you just said amen for me, in your heart, say amen for yourself. There's a, there's a plaque that hangs, a, it's a letter that hangs in my office, hung, hung there for years, and once or twice a week, right by one of the doors, I stop and I read it. It's a poem written quite a few years ago. I cried out in my anguish and fear, Oh, precious Savior, can't you hear? Your child is hurting and suffering so. Can't you make all my trials go? Can't you make my pathways bright with never a fear, never a fright? Can't you make my days carefree with never a heartache to burden me? Can't I always feel healthy and young with all my dreams just begun? Why must I suffer in this stress and strife? Can't I just have an easy life? Then I heard a voice so quiet and still. Didn't you ask to know my will? Didn't you pray, O Lord, use me, let me a blessing to others be? 
Didn't I see your tears spilling down? Didn't you offer your life for a crown? Many have suffered more, a lot more than you. Still they are willing, still they are true. I love you, my child. I gave you my all. Haven't I been there whenever you call? All I can use to bring others to me are my children on earth who are willing to be servants, ready to suffer if asked, who will put aside self, whatever the task. Then I felt sad and so small inside. I regretted my complaints, my arrogant pride. I cried, Lord, forgive me. I'm willing to be used for your glory to help others see. And if I must suffer and all seems despair, I'll remember you love me and your strength will be there. I love you, Mom. It's been decades since that season her body wrecked with cancer and all that comes with that. Even in that moment, my mom will tell you, and I hope you'll, if not this morning, at some point go up and ask her, was God working in that moment to give you joy? Was God working in that suffering to clarify for you, solidify your identity? And did God work in the suffering to strengthen your faith, your commitment to trust him? I know the answer, but you need to hear it from her. You see, God understands more than we, we can ever hope to understand what suffering is about and why and his timing. I want to close with this, and I want to, I want to lead us in prayer, but I want you to hear 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. I love it when a, a, a New Testament author tells us why they wrote their letter. John does it in, in the end of his gospel. These things are written. Peter does it here in 1 Peter 5. I've written you this brief letter and I've done it through Sylvanus. I know him to be a faithful brother. I've written you this brief letter to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. This is the life of grace, having hope in the midst of suffering. Hope lives here because of God's grace. Hope lives here because of God's grace. I wrote this 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit has it for us today. I wrote this, we're studying it, so that we would be encouraged and that we would be confident that this suffering is a life of grace. It's a life of walking in God's grace. Can we say amen to that? Would you pray with me, please? And then um, I want to invite Ginny and Melissa you guys would come up they're gonna close our service this morning and i feel compelled to pray but I would, but please pray as well please don't you know sometimes in church we do that right well we just prayed why would we pray again because we need to pray father thank you for your grace i thank you for your love i thank you for your your commitment your faithfulness in all moments including our suffering Oh, how we need you. I need you. We need you. The church needs you to live this life of grace. Father, thank you for your love that walks with us through the suffering. And there's never shame from you. There's only love and grace and mercy and faithfulness. You stay right beside us, even in our deepest struggles. You never leave us. Father, we want to be a voice of hope, but we know we cannot do that in our own strength. 
So Holy Spirit, speak to us. Even as we prepare to go and we think about the week ahead, speak to us, lead us, strengthen us to live out the life of grace that you've called us to. And all God's people said, amen.